Welcome back to Hope This Helps, a podcast with a TPM. Wait, what's a TPM? And what's a podcast? I don't know what either are. A TPM is a trusted podcast module, of course. It's something that Windows 11 requires. Well, then no one should trust us. No. With a TPM. Not to mention Microsoft doesn't even know what Windows 11 will run on right now. Well, that in any time I've had a computer with tpm i feel like it always yells at me yep same that's why i usually don't bother with it or in the case of my most recent desktop i just didn't include one as i've learned this week apparently the gaming world just also ignores tpms it's just kind of an enterprise thing i mean can't you disable it anyways you can but windows 11 isn't gonna be happy about that they're gonna say no you need a tpm to run windows 11 for reasons unknown i but I feel like in the past, even with Windows 10, it would be like, TPM? What's that? We thought you had it, but now you don't. I feel like it's almost like a a bad date. It's like that thing that you try to do and then it doesn't work out, so you get rid of it. Or if you try to just limp along with it, it just dies later on in life. Yeah, that's perfectly describes what a TPM is. So like trying to make fetch happen. So it's like the Gretchen Wieners of the computer world. Windows 11 will require that your computer includes at least one Gretchen Wiener. Otherwise, it will not boot. You can't even attempt to begin running it. You can't even. You just need one Gretchen Wiener. That's it. Just one Wiener to run Win 11. That sounds about right. Yes. Oh, man. Welcome wow. to Help This Helps. As you can tell, we're a podcast about sometimes tech and Windows 11 and Wieners. This is our 37th show. It's more than a 36 hole golf course. Our categories don't include golf. They do include uh, a bunch of random boot-up topics, maybe Windows 11. I don't know, whatever else we feel like talking about tonight. We're just going to just free-wing it, free-something it. Free-wing free it, yeah. So I almost said that it was going to be as boring as a golf podcast. And then I realized that that might be an oxymoron. Golf and boring. I personally think golf is pretty boring. Sorry, not sorry. Literally any sport is more exciting than golf. Like paint drying. There is mini golf that occasionally airs on TV. It's a holy moly, and that's coming back this summer. I do watch that. Mini golf is fun to watch. Regular golf? No, I don't understand how that's a big thing. Well, well then. You know, people always talk about you make big decisions in business and enterprise when you're golfing. And I'm like, no, what, why, why don't you just do that when you're bowling or basketballing or baseballing or or doing almost anything except for golf yeah literally any other sport is better tuned than golf when it comes to networking and linkedin stuff i guess linkedin is kind of like golf though it's like the golf course of the internet that is true where you don't want to be there everyone's posting stuff you don't care about and it's just all live laugh love yeah and you make a few weird jokes just so people remember you're still there you just vague book on linkedin you you do a few swings, you miss a lot. I mean, that that's LinkedIn. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So do exactly. it on Exactly, all LinkedIn. of them. All of them. <laughs> that should be LinkedIn's new slogan. <laughs> oh, man. So how do we podcast? We haven't done this in a while. I don't remember. Don't we like start with something like make weird noises like the boot up sounds? Beep, beep, beep. beep, 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 beep. That's a... 
Wow, that yeah. is that your TPM? Is uh, that is that because you have a TPM sensor? Yeah, TPMs make different noises. New computers make different noises, and also computers that haven't been turned on in a while also make some grindy, crotchety noises. That's what that's the state this podcast is in at the moment. Right, my computer makes a sound of dollars signs cashing coins it exhausts dollars my computer is actually brand new and this podcast is actually the inaugural recording on this new silicon that i just built and it's a computer that is completely silent compared to my last one i'm not actually recording in a closet tonight i'm recording in front of my desktop which is the first time i think since episode maybe 17 or 18 that i've done that that's awesome I've actually found that the audio quality, for whatever reason, is much better on a Mac. I don't know why, but I have, I, so I've just been recording on a Mac. I mean, do what works. You're reminding me of all these little stories I've had since in the time we've last spoken. Yeah, so when I was removing my old desktop to get the new desktop in, there was a bit of a transitional state where I had to take the old desktop out, I had to remove my NVIDIA GTX 780 out of the desktop so I could prepare to put it in the new desktop that we were going to build. We go and build the desktop, me and my buddy, and everything's in, it looks great, we've wired it up, we've wrapped all the cables, so the cable management is all amazing, and we've gotten to the final part of the build where we're like, okay, time to turn it on and hope we don't set the house on fire. We press the button for the power and nothing happens. And we're like, oh, crap. We check all the connections. We make sure we didn't miss anything. No wires are crossed. Make sure the circuit didn't blow. And we're just like, nope, we got nothing. Of course, I remembered everything except for like a voltmeter. So I couldn't quite tell exactly why the power wasn't turning on. But the board was lighting up. So what we decided to do was we did the most redneck thing we could possibly do, which was grab another desktop in the other room that we knew was working and we took the side off and we took some wires out of it and we did basically the equivalent of a jump start between the two desktops where we took the power leads on the motherboard of the other desktop that was working and hooked it up to the case, my case in the new desktop and we confirmed that the case and the power button were working but we confirmed that it was a bad motherboard. So we were absolutely able to determine that it was a bad board Fast forward a week, I've already made the board, got a new one, we get it in, ran into a slight issue where, oddly enough, two or three pins on the CPU got bent somehow in the transition, so we had to do some little microsurgery on the pins without a magnifying glass, of course, which was a little bit tedious, but figured it out, got it all built together, and we pressed that power button and it turned on. So it was a bad board with bad power headers. It's actually really, really convenient that I got this new desktop because my old desktop with its Intel i7-3770K, which is a third gen Intel i series, that will not be able to run Windows 11 in any capacity. I don't think it even had a TPM module on the board. No. So with my new AMD Ryzen, it is definitely within the compatibility sphere of Windows 11. It was manufactured just last year and I'm in the clear for it. Man, it's been it's been a ride. Anyways, in that transitional period, I had to use a Mac because my old desktop, the case had flexed so badly where I couldn't actually reinstall the graphics card that I took out. 
And in the week that I was waiting for the board RMA, I still needed a desktop. So I was like, well, I'll try to get the NVIDIA graphics card back in the old desktop and hopefully I can just use it for a week. But the case was so bad. That case was a pre-build and that metal was awful. It was one of those things where once I took the card out after X amount of years, that case was not going to let it back in no matter what I did. So I took the desktop out, switched it out with a Mac for a week, and I used the Mac for a while. It was an M1 Mac Mini. Works pretty mm-hmm. well, pretty powerful. And yeah, like you said, the, the sound isn't too bad. I had some issues with Bluetooth and a couple other things that I was missing from Windows. Particularly, I've grown fond of the Windows Clipboard feature, and I can't quite find an app that replicates it exactly on the Mac. There's one where you can kind of put it in the menu bar at the top, but it's just not the same. You can't really invoke it as quickly as you can in Windows. It was just, you know, some things were good, some things were bad. Short story long, long story short. Use whatever works for you. If the audio is great on the Mac, go for it. Use that. Yeah, I just don't know what it is. It just sounds better. And I have reinstalled Windows and it just, for whatever reason, the audio just doesn't sound good. Despite using the same microphone, my Motu M4, why can't I think of what it's called? My brain is not working, apparently, but that's okay. Uh, you just say letters and numbers and you'll yeah, probably get something. Yeah, it's fine. My thing, thingy thing that does the sound intermediary part, you know, people who are into audio will know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone else will just be like, I have no idea. And that's fine. Sound card ears thingy. Yeah, yeah. The thing that the microphone plugs into and then plugs into the computer. That's fine. Because I use a directional microphone. Because I am too ADHD for a dynamic microphone. (laughs) (laughs) I just use my Yeti and I just plant it squarely in front of my face. And I just try to not move my head that much when I talk. That's fair. I have found that my audio also is still better because... Now you don't get like me doing the weird like ADHD thing where I'm like touching everything in front of me, which has been, nobody wants to hear that. My favorite moment is still when you like knocked your entire computer off your desk while we were recording a live episode. (laughs) I forgot about that. Everything just fell off. I just love that I heard the entire thing. I just heard. And probably some very explicit words at the same time. Actually, I think all I heard after was just, oh, and I was like. Oh, baby. I I thought like something was actually really wrong there for a moment. I thought like there was grave injury that had occurred, but no, 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 it was okay. No, womp womp, womp womp. So, so what are we even talking about tonight? Well, we were talking about your computer, your build, which is so exciting. I speaking of like computer builds, I have the. It's been a while since we've recorded, and I don't know. I've talked about the fact that I have an RTX thirty seventy, which. Weirdly, I I don't really do any gaming that really needs that, but I will say it's a very good space heater for mining Ethereum. The thing about graphics cards that have gotten interesting in the past couple of years is, yeah, like you said, they're obviously they have gaming benefits, but they've kind of gained odd CPU supplemental benefits too. To the point where I think some vendors like NVIDIA have caught on and they're actually trying to nerf that a bit. Like they said in, I think, some of their latest cards, they said they want to specifically neuter the ability to mine cryptocurrency with it and instead sell another dedicated card that is not for gaming or it might not even have ports on the back, but it is specifically for mining cryptocurrency, which is an odd choice. I'm not 
I guess I understand it, but at the same time, like, why complicate the matter? So what's interesting is right after I got mine, that's when they started nerfing them. So you got in right at the I, very yeah, end. Yeah, I, I did. But what's also interesting is that a lot of the major cryptocurrencies are moving away from like computer mining. So like Ethereum is slated to like go away at some point as well and it'll be mined separately. I'm not like sure entirely like how that works, but they like basically are switching like how the back end works. It will be kind of useless to mine cryptocurrency at some point. There will be some types that you still could, but Right, I think it's shifting. I think the terms are proof of stake and proof versus proof of work, and I think when that shifts, it's going to change how mining functions because you know power consumption and being nicer to the planet i guess yeah that that kind of thing yeah we we like that yeah i can get behind that i'm looking at what you have here and i think the solar winds thing is a really good place to start because it it just feels like it's never ending yeah and funny the thing i have written down it it actually has nothing to do with the solar winds thing that came out like just yesterday but yeah well that made me think of yesterday so we had, you know, our good old SolarWinds hack back in November, December, where um, it was a supply chain attack. The SolarWinds software was breached because SolarWinds 123 is cool. We never quite grasped exactly what the implications of that breach were going to be down the road. Now we might be seeing the first results of that supply chain attack. Several customers of Microsoft were then attacked via the SolarWinds supply chain attack. That's the so words. My question here is, so it says that SolarWinds hackers, they breached a Microsoft support agent. So my question is, like, was the support that the SolarWinds hackers provided better than the Microsoft Tier 1 support? Because if so, like, Microsoft really needs to hire these people. Yeah, get them like, seriously. That's what I want to know. Get them on the payroll. Are they better? It, Are they better than tier one support? Because these people deserve a job. Yeah, it was like um, 10 years ago when um, LulzSec, Lull Security was DDoSing people. They were like an offshoot of Anonymous. So this is a little internet history lesson. About, it was almost exactly 10 years, maybe 10 years in a week to the day that LulzSec was DDoSing people, and um, the leader of LulzSec, uh, who went by Sabu, was actually arrested by the FBI and turned into an informant. That's what you do. You gotta get them on the payroll. If they're the villain and they have good skills, you know, try to maybe incentivize them to switch to the other side and use those powers for good. And Microsoft support definitely could use that. Yeah, if... They can provide better tier one. I'm not even upset. I can't even be mad about that. But let's let's continue talking about what you do have here for solar winds. Right. I tend to deal with solar winds <laughs> for one reason or another. And man, just trying to figure out what version of solar winds you have is just sometimes an adventure and a half. If you go to the Orion web console, it'll tell you one version. But if you open up the database manager and you query what version of solar winds, it tells you other version numbers. These version numbers don't exactly line up with what the console says because there's two versions. There's like the one that's like the human readable, like the marketable version. It's like 2020.2. whatever. And then if you dive deep into the database, you have these legacy versions that used to correspond to just like version 8.0, 9.0, 10.0, 11.0, 12.0. And they're still using that in the back end. So it's so hard to figure out just what version of SolarWinds you have. 
And half the time, it's like you just have to fire up the Orion installer and just hope that it can just tell you what you have and what you can jump to and how that will all work. I'm surprised that people are still using solar winds. That was a pretty, like, I'm just still stuck on the whole so- solar winds debacle and the fact that, like, they can't even get their numeric conventions down. I think that's a pretty good indicator that they're probably not very trustworthy. Well, and I thought about this the other day. I thought, as bad as it is and bad as it looks, I have some hope that maybe they cleaned up their accents and now they're hyper aware of, hey, they got hit and they got hit hard. Maybe they could clean some stuff up. But at the same time, like, man, your database password was SolarWinds123. Put that on a t-shirt because uh, it, it's bad. If you haven't patched SolarWinds, that's what's even worse because some of those out in the wild might still be out there. And like we said, these supply chain attack effects might not be seen for years to come and then they just start they're like potholes in a road you never know when it's going to just take out a car and that car just might be i don't know like apple or i hope apple's not using solar winds but you get what i mean right they're using like the off-brand version that they created in a basement somewhere called polar winds or apple i i wind monitoring right i I wind monitoring 2.0 tpm t2 Maybe they just call it SSD. Ping. Oh. Like that iTunes social network they used to have called Ping. I forgot all about that. Most people did. Nobody used it. It was terrible. Well, yeah, that was like right after the Jabber days, right? Jabber was Cisco, I think. Well, but Jabber, wasn't it Jabber also built into the Mac? Well, there's Bonjour, there's Apple Talk. Bonjour. I, that, I don't know why I was thinking Jabber, but Bonjour. Uh, okay, yeah, I was going to say uh, there's Cisco Jabber. Bonjour, that's a protocol. That's like a networking protocol for discovery. Right. That's still around. Well, but they had the chat. Did you not know about that? No. I'll look there that was up. this way where you could like internetwork like chat with people. So if you were like on the same LAN, you could like pull up, I want to say Bonjour. And then like, you could have like a full on like messaging conversation. That might have been Bonjour. That, that seems to fit the description of Bonjour, I think. But I don't think that like most people use Bonjour in that way. But that's how like when I worked at the Apple store back in the day, like we would like communicate like across the store. Um, we would like pull up Bonjour. Like again, I could be totally wrong, but it was like one of those built in and we would like know the computer we wanted to target and we would just be like, hey, because like we wanted to talk to each other, but that's how you could do it. Right. And um, Bonjour is a protocol that it actually, it, it, it exists outside the Apple world as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a quote unquote, Bonjour is Apple's implementation of zero configuration networking. Like I'm literally just reading Wikipedia, but it's service discovery, address assignment, and host name resolution. And it will locate devices like printers, other computers, and services and the like. There's a program I used recently. I, was, I replaced Mouse Without Borders with an open source fork of Synergy called Barrier. Ooh. There's a GitHub page for it, and it functions precisely like the old version of Synergy before Synergy went completely corporate and not free. But Barrier is awesome. It's cross-platform. I got it to work across Windows and Mac. But when you install Barrier on Windows... One of the first things it asks you is, do you want to install the Bonjour protocol? Because that will assist with auto-discovery of other barrier nodes on your network, be it client or server. And when I did install that, it was able to immediately connect to the computer I elected to be a barrier server, and it just worked. And that was the magic of Bonjour. So that seems to fit your description of how Bonjour was set up. Yeah, but it was like Bonjour chat. 
it was just like the coolest, most random thing ever. Yeah, that's cool. Bonjour. Why would you ever think to like use it? But that's how we would like talk to each other while we were working. The open source IM clients Pigeon, Copidi, and Adium support the bro- the Bonjour IM protocol. Oh, okay. So yeah, there is a bit of a messaging component in Bonjour in some way or another. I think it was Mountain, not Mountain Lion. Oh my God. Snow Leopard. That sounds about right. That really had the Bonjour chat. I wonder if that was built into iChat at the time. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to like remember. It was before they renamed the app to Messages, so I bet it was iChat. Yes, it was in iChat. Okay, so I'm, I'm finding. I didn't realize how hard it was it's to find like bonjour like because that was like one of the features we would also show people and be like oh look like you can talk to people in your house on bonjour using iChat and da 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 oh the simple pleasures before smartphones and high-speed internet right because <laughs> that was back when the iphone was really just like a large calculator couldn't even take video on the first one. No, but I, I had it. I had it, and I don't know why, but I did. I was an Android kid for the longest time. That was until one of my Android phones just kind of flaked out on me to the point where I switched sides, and hey, I've had iPhones ever since. Okay, I found it. It's like how to, like on the dummies.com website, how to chat in Mac OS. I call it X, Snow Leopard's iChat application. So it was part of my chat, which... I- <laughs> Look at that. Oh, man. I miss iChat. I miss iChat. Oh. There are parts of iChat that are still in messages. They're yeah. just pretty well hidden. But iChat, you used to be able to like integrate AOL Instant Messenger. I'm dating myself. <laughs> Part of the problem was that AIM actually went away. So when, you know, when that was gone and I think uh, Yahoo Messenger and MSN Messenger, yes. you know, those kind of faded away or people stopped using them, one of the two. But Back when those were more of a thing, yeah, that was uh, much more prevalent in iChat, but I think it's sort of faded away to be mostly just an iMessage machine now. Which is very interesting because the new like integrated chats bubble in Win11 kind of looks like the old iChat icon, and it has almost like an aim feel to it except it's probably going to source more from android because yeah so one of the features of windows 11 is that it's going to be integrating android apps into the store i guess it's powered by amazon somehow they were sort of tiptoeing into that with the your phone app every feature update of windows 10 was sort of adding more stuff like screen mirroring and running apps from the phone but now they're just saying oh we can just emulate all of the android apps in windows 11 going forward with its own store and you can just install them clearly to compete with apple's catalyst project marzipan run ios on your mac kind of thing but just the android version of that and i know they'll definitely if you have an android phone and it does messaging you can just pull that right into windows I just found out like Apple's first problem is people don't actually like marzipan. They pretend. It's all the same complaints that I've had already where it's, you know, why not just put a touchscreen on the Mac? iOS apps on the Mac are stupid unless you have a touchscreen because the touch targets are stupid for the mouse and keyboard. I can't like do things that I could in a desktop app or features are removed or things are just illogical. The Windy app for iOS is available on the Mac. I installed it on my M1 Mac because I really like the Windy app. 
But you know what? I ended up just going back to using windy.com in a browser because I can't zoom in in the Marzipan Windy app on macOS. Yeah. There's not even a UI button for it. And like Apple, you got to give me these alternatives. And I know they have a touch alternatives menu, but it's completely useless because almost none of that actually worked in the app. So it's just, it's completely, it's just nonsense to me. Put a freaking touchscreen on the, on the Mac so you don't have to use all these awkward, non-functioning alternatives, or just don't bother with it at all. Well, again, though, like, they also named the project after the most okayest food ever. Or a Homestar Runner character. Right. That's the, that's, my, that's the first thing I think of. Well, but nobody really likes Marzipan, let's be real. They just pretend. I've watched right. enough, like, Great British Baking Show to know that, like, they use Marzipan in everything. And no one actually really likes it. It's the thing in the back of the cupboard. Right. It's that like weird white cream filling that like is too sweet, but no one will admit it. And that's apple for you. Too sweet and no one will admit it. Precisely. I have no idea what I just said or if it made any sense, but I'm okay with that. It's okay. Nothing has to make sense anymore. No, but like Apple is like locking everything down and making it extremely hard to run anything. You might as well put me in prison at this point. It's Mac OS jail edition. Yeah. How do I get that one? I remember when I was was using the M1 Mac for a week, (laughs) it was so many little things I was just grumbling at. I was just like, ah, freaking Apple, freaking Mac OS, or like, I know how to do this on Windows. It's like, it's so stupid. I can't do this in Mac. It's like little things. The home end page up and page down keys. I use them a lot in Windows. And then on the Mac side, most of the Mac keyboards don't even seem to include those buttons. So that functionality is like de-emphasized. And then if you plug in a keyboard that does have those keys, half the time it doesn't function the way you think it's going to function. Pressing end on macOS functions like pressing control end on Windows, which instead of going to the end of a line by default, it'll go to the end of the document by default. No, I want to go to the end of the line in Visual Studio Code. Nope, we're zipping to the end. This drives me up a wall. It's like all these right. little nu- nuanced features. Like it's like a death by a thousand cuts for me when it comes to macOS. I right. can try to learn all these little things, but it's such a pain. I'm like, just take me back to Snow Leopard, please. Just take me back to Snow Leopard. That's what I feel like Windows 11 is trying to be. Snow Leopard. That's what I hope. But I almost am worried that like, it's going to be Hype City and I'm just going to be lots of disappointed because that's usually what happens. My first thoughts on Windows 11 are like the compatibility and the requirements are sort of overly stringent. I think it's overly ambitious to require a TPM. I don't think Microsoft quite realizes how much of a problem that is for custom builds and gaming PCs, which don't include a TPM. Then locking the OS down to like 8th gen Intel processors and higher, that is actually kind of nuts. That locks out an unbelievable amount of PCs. Not to mention, I'm not sure if this was fixed or if it was a bug, but the Surface Studio 2, which is a $3,500 computer sold by Microsoft today, is incompatible with Windows 11 as of right now, along with half of the other Surface models. Well, but if you think about it, the what, the 8th gen chip came out, like, I want to say almost close to three years ago, maybe. I don't know, I may be making that up. I'm thinking about traditional compatibility with Microsoft OSs usually goes back like at least five to seven right. years, but they're, if not more. They're solidly pulling an apple in that regard of, hey, like, we're telling you like two, two to three years is like now the cutoff, but 
before we move on because even when you think about it I get how it's different like no one has really a custom Apple built because Apple's like you're going to use our hardware too but um, something that I also found is like Apple has been doing the TPM thing they just call it T2 which I got a like huge kick out of it and had to start like quoting Terminator to myself silently exactly meanwhile Apple's been like Sarah Connoring us for like years and we're like all mad in our panties on a twist about Microsoft. But realistically, we've been allowing ourselves to get shackled now for some time. And it's not unlike Microsoft, though, to get pressured and then backpedal any of their decisions. So that's why I'm not going to get super upset at this moment, because how many times have we we could listen to 36 of our episodes of our podcast where we've said something. And then a month later, Microsoft then backpedals on something. They said, oh, we can't backpedal on that because of the X, Y, and Z requirement. But then suddenly it will work. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm. it's so early at this point where I'm actually not really, I, I don't have any skin in the game and I don't want any skin in the game until it's much closer to release. Like right now, there's just so much confusion on even the compatibility checker right now and what it is and isn't saying that what computers can run it. And there's like already open source utilities that can already give a better read on what, if whether or not your computer will run it and it will tell you precisely why. Right. Earlier today, I tried to run it on, it's like a work machine. I was just handed for testing purposes. And I know that this computer isn't managed. And the checker was like, this computer is managed by your enterprise. We can't check it. And I was like, I 100% know that this computer is not managed for this exact reason. Right. And there is there is one utility on GitHub, and I just found it's called Why Not Win 11. It's a little executable that does a great job. Literally, it shows all the requirements, and it shows like green, yellow, or red as to whether or not your computer can run Windows 11. Oh. From the architecture, boot method, CPU cores, compatibility, frequency, does your DirectX version match the one that it's going to need, and RAM, and secure boot, all that stuff. And it's a nice human readable thing. And you'd think Microsoft would have provided this tool, but nope, they just say yes or no, you can run Windows 11 or you can't. Right. And so what's interesting too is so on this machine that I have, I did the insider preview and it updated to the, so while the the new checker is telling me like it can't tell me because my computer is managed. This is how I know my computer is not managed. I was able to run the updates for the Windows Insider Preview for Windows 10 <laughs> Enterprise. So meanwhile, it's like installing and this checker is telling me that my computer is managed so it can't tell me. And I'm like, this is a lie. I would not be able to install this right now without any sort of anything. This is not like, what are you checking exactly? Oh, that it has like a, a corporate account associated with it. That is it. What else are you checking? So then um, I got the new build of the Windows 10 Insider Preview. What's interesting is it ha all of the icons have changed. And yes. so before it also like did um, another update, there was a program on there called Chat. And then like it did another update and then it was suddenly gone. And I was like, oh, and I went to like go show Matt. I was like, hey, look, there's a chat app. And then it like restarted and it was gone. And I was just like, I feel like I'm starting to get glimpses of things and they're taking it away from me in seconds. That's the insider program for you. There was chat and messages in certain versions of like Windows 8 and yeah. maybe early versions of Windows 10. And then they went away and then it became the people app. 
and I saw I saw a really amusing release note about things removed from Windows 11. And one of the things is the People app is gone, but it was it was described as people have been removed from Windows 11. <laughs> they really have been. Oh, that's another thing too. Is there's um another aspect of Windows 11 which I guess is causing some some upset is needing to log in with a Windows or a Microsoft account. Oh, you can't do the workaround where you like unplug your Ethernet cable or say sign in with a corporate account and you just say, I pinky swear I'll join a domain and you don't. That's how you remain local and off on-prem. From what I've heard, you can't, but again, um, without actually being in, in it and seeing it for myself, I can't speak to it. But as soon as I can download it on this machine, because it's not mine, you best believe I'm going to do it. I'm, yeah, I'm, again, trying my hardest to reserve all judgment for when it's out. But I'm also sort of at the same point where I'm just like, am I getting old? Can I just make this a jumping off point where I'm like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Right, I'm right. tired of can this. Can I just get like the old thing? Can I just like go back to Windows 8? Not that I ever would say that. No. For me it's not even it's not even Windows 8. I'm just like, can I finally just wipe my drive and install Linux Mint? Like yeah. will all the drivers work? Will all my apps work? Has Microsoft moved to that open model where I can just run everything off of Linux instead and officially jump off of this madness train of the Windows 10 and 11 story? That's a really good I actually have been thinking more about Linux lately. It's like a bad itch I've been getting of like, will it solve my problem of one needing to sign into things to getting pop-ups or things I don't care about? Like, I'm just like sick of being inundated with ads, with things that I don't care about. Like, I want to just go on my computer, play my game and not worry about needing to buy something or I just don't yeah, care exactly. anymore. I just, maybe I'm also getting old. I just like don't want a social media. I don't, maybe like, one thing the pandemic has like made me realize is like I'm totally okay with not caring about what other people are doing or buying. Yep, exactly. Welcome to the club. <laughs> and it's actually like quite stress relieving. 100%. Yeah, I've been, I mean, I've, this is a multi-year project for me, but it's after I built my NAS and I've moved to more self-hosted stuff, I'm like trying to make sure that almost, if not everything, then the majority of the software I use has a GitHub page. That means it's open source, it's community driven, it's not owned by some big company. And two, it's like owning my data, getting stuff out of the cloud, having my own VPN, my own remote access that only I control, that I have all of the knowledge about, and there's nothing that's going to get pulled out from under me. And I'm finally at that point where I'm like, can I ditch Windows for Linux? Can I finally do it? Uh, it's like, I'm so close, but there's a few things that I still have to hold on to it for, particularly on my desktop. Some of it's gaming and some of it's yeah. Outlook.exe is still just better than OA in some ways. OneNote.exe doesn't exist in Linux unless you run Wine, but last I checked WineHQ, there is no version of OneNote that works mm. in it. It's just all these little things. I'm just like, ah, oh, the dream is so close, but I just I just can't do it yet. Oh man, I'm so close to doing it. That, oh, someday. It'll happen, but it was like Windows 11 was kind of like another one of those like, hey, this is a transitional period. Do you want to Do you want to keep going with this commitment or do you want to jump off? Man, it would be nice to jump off and get away from windows but 
nope, I guess I'm, I guess uh, I'll probably go to Windows 11, but I'm gonna wait till the release at this point. I don't feel like doing betas with yeah. this. Well, quite like frankly. I said, like I have a computer that was just given to me for this purpose, so it's something kind of like just kill time. But I probably will just install it and forget that I did that because I do that all all of the time. I remember I went pretty hard into the Windows 10 Insider previews back in 2014 when they first came out, but that was kind of like a joyous occasion because I remember Windows 8 and 8.1 were just miserable piles of junk OSs because the start menu was bad, the notification system was bad, and Windows 10 was sort of like a rebuttal to all that. It was like the rejection of all the Steven Sanofsky era Windows 8 designs that made everyone hate it and made everyone pine for Windows 7. With Windows 10, we had a different set of problems with things like the update system being locked down and suddenly I can't choose what updates I have control over and then the privacy angle so it's like we traded one set of monkeys on our back for another with Windows 10. Yeah exactly so I think this is this is totally random and like off the cusp I don't know why it's this headline that's like Elon Musk weighs in on the Windows on Windows 11 where he literally um, posts on Satya's announcement about (laughs) Windows 11 and Elon Musk is that like person you love to hate but hate to love because I don't actually really like him at all but I do enjoy his trolling totally separate entities and on Satya's Twitter post he says bring back the Zune it's time ah yes I saw that too I thought it was an old tweet I swear he tweeted that once before oh he probably has but it looks like he must he just did a reply like a quick yeah maybe he did a re-up on that tweet right yeah no I'm no fan of I'm no fan of Elon Musk either you'll you'll receive zero praise from me for plenty of reasons right. but well so we'll call this a state of the zunion update yeah um if you're gonna <laughs> we need one of those for do we need a refresh of the zune and it's time with windows 11 um i did find on the zune on the yeah on the zune subreddit someone did attempt to install the zune software and it did work on windows 11 so rest assured compatibility is still there that installer Whoa. will still work that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is wonderful. That's like, what, 13, 14 years of constant compatibility with Zune. So I'm pumped about that. At least they're not giving up on you yet. Nope. I can still sync. I can still use it. Very recently, it gained some functionality back where you can restore the video conversion ability. I've been using the crap out of that, and that's been working like a charm. Oh, wow. So I'm still... I just decided to like go down this rabbit hole about the zune and the verge just did an article on it like last week well they had a big one a while back that was a shout out to the zune subreddit and it was just sort of a tribute to the community and how they're keeping it alive and all that yeah yeah no this one yeah this was just last week though and it's just like all about the zune i mean i i respect it i'm just i don't have patience for like putting my music in a place or my audio i like but i i respect it and i appreciate the dedication i wrote a script recently that using the zune software as the source of truth i wrote a powershell script so in the Zune software, that's where I keep my master playlists and the liked songs and everything. And I use the Zune's auto playlist feature to mark songs as liked and generate a playlist off of that. Then I wrote a PowerShell script to extract out of the XML-based ZPL playlists, convert them to M3U playlists, which then feed into my AirSonic server, and it keeps them all in sync. 
So basically the Zune is still the source of truth. I make the edits there and then I run the script just to update it everywhere else. Oh. It's my crazy, stupid system of managing music. There's nothing It makes me happy. Yeah, inside. but it makes you happy and it's your nostalgia. And I get to leverage PowerShell to do it. I Yay. write a lot of functions for PowerShell to do that. It works in PowerShell 7. So it's kind of like making it work in the modern ecosystem in a way. Yes. No, that's really cool. And I respect that. So I did promise Jimmy. Well, I didn't really promise, but he really would like us to discuss the millions of articles that I sent you about Power BI, um, which you probably didn't read. But Oh, sure. Yeah. But because... We have a listener, like one listener, maybe two. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we do have a request to talk about, uh, it's not even tenant migrations, it's data migrations. And this is kind of like my rant about my problem with the cloud, not being able to have that control. So back in the day, and I feel like back in the day in the cloud world is like two years ago, you could only set up a Power BI. I don't want to say tenant because when I say tenant, I feel like I'm talking about the full, like your full company's like tenant, but you get like your own like little Power BI nugget of a tenant, if you will. So you could only set it up in the central United States. They wouldn't let you pick your location. But over time, uh, my particular company, our data is stored on the East Coast. So we found ourselves like in this situation where we're like paying tons of money, boatloads of money and egress costs because like our reports are being generated on one side of the country. But, you know, in a traditional like data center setting, you don't eat those egress costs because like it's part of your like internal network. Steve, you can probably attest to that. And like you can move clusters back and forth as you need and just live live your best life. One of the things that we're running into is wanting to move that data closer to the data, move the reports closer to the data. And we're finding out that it's not exactly as easy as support makes it sound like. So in the discussions with them, they were just like, yeah, like you just put in a ticket and we'll do it for you. And so like in the conversations and I was just, and they're like, yeah, we're just going to like move it across the internet. And I was just like, I've seen Robocopy fail more times than it succeeded. And the guy was like, well, you know, like, well, it's the internet. And I'm just like, so what is the plan? I'm like, so do we just get like a, a text message when you're done? Like, hey, yeah, we're all set. And I'm just like, I don't know if that flies with like, so like it just really the whole like process and not being able to like have control over it made me realize like the cloud makes me so uneasy in so many ways. And I'm just like, how is this more convenient? I now have more anxiety than anything. So yeah. So this has been like the discussion about like, you know, what are the best practices of where, what do you do if your data is in multiple places? I mean, obviously HA and high availability is probably the way to go, but there's still like so many unanswered questions that I have. So this, this is the, what partially keeps me up at night. It's just like these random things that I didn't really think I ever would care about. And now suddenly I do. The thing about, so yeah, migrating with Power BI and moving the tenants and all that, that was, um I forget in our org, I, I don't remember what it was, but we had a similar problem. And it was something where you had to work with Microsoft to move the region that it was defined in. Mm-hmm. Just like you, it was like in some rando region that it had nothing to do with our region and we had to move it to ours. And I think because of country borders, there were some 
I, I don't remember the logistics. I wasn't super involved in it, but I just remember it was more difficult than it should have been to get that fixed. Yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, if you're moving Power BI and, like you said, you had to move it across. So was that a global Power BI thing you were doing? Fortunately, it's only across the country, but okay, it's still very expensive to have those egress costs. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is in your best interest financially to move that to the region that of which you're operating in. Right. What? So was it not a supported feature before? Yeah. So when back in the day, when you first set up like your tenant, you would basically just get dropped. I believe Central was the only place that they were ha- like that they had Power BI reports uh, reporting available. And then like through throughout the past year or so, they have, or maybe two years, but recently they now allow you to migrate closer to your data. Um, so now, now you can have Power BI reporting anywhere. However, the process is, it's getting better. But even like within the last few days, we found Reddit articles that were like, they lost all my data. And we're like, uh, this is scary. Yeah. And one thing Microsoft always states, you know, particularly with Exchange Online, Office 365, uh, Exchange Online and Teams or SharePoint, they say, you know, we're cloud, we're the cloud, but we're not your backup. They, this sort of gives them the ability to say, hey, we have no responsibility if we dump your data or lose it or something like that happens. And it sounds irresponsible, but they also kind of have a point at the same time. Right. I don't know how I feel about it. Well, and I get that. But at the same time, too, they don't really give you any guidance on how to handle that. Because to get it all set up to migrate, they really, they tell you to disable a bunch of stuff. And I'm speaking very technically and in terms of something that I don't work in every day. So this is my interpretation of when I hear them say, hey, you need to disable this premium feature. And then when when it's time, after when we're done with the migration, you need to have someone go back in and re-enable them, re-enable like the, these features. And one, I'm... In my head, I'm like, that sounds like a lot of like manual work for people because you can't migrate this function. And it makes me realize too that they're telling me, oh yeah, we're just like taking your data off of one server or one VM and moving it to another VM. But instead of just saying that, they like make it sound like it's some fancy magical wizardry. But it's like, just tell me that you're just migrating from one VM to the other. And most people who have migrated before will be like, oh, okay, like I totally get why I need to do these things. Don't speak right. to me like I'm like at Disney World, like ready to go like scan my magic band. And now you have to like speak to me in like some voodoo foreign language to like m- make the appeal. It's like, I know what you're doing. You're just migrating from one server to the other, one VM. Don't sugarcoat it. You don't have the super mega premium fast pass. You just have the regular fast right, pass. Right, right, right. Like, you didn't sign up for that today. Oh, go ahead, get in line on the app and refresh a bajillion times so you can get a new fast pass for some magic ride on the Microsoft Express. And I'm just like, I'm asking you a question. Don't Disney me. Yeah, and some of it may not be Microsoft's fault. You know, no. it could be geographical and you know right countries and we're kind of rubbing up with you know the state of the world and how that's always been and with cloud global cloud stuff it 
uh, it's, it's it's annoying to suddenly have to deal with that when before it's like, oh, just my local data center and I own everything about it. But with the cloud, you got to deal with all this other crap. I think that's what really frustrates me about the cloud. Like in general, now I'm just going to like go into a cloud rant is is really the support structure and how when you, you so like you and I and people that we surround ourselves, we put a lot of time and effort into familiarizing ourselves with the terminology and putting a lot of effort into learning the stuff. So it's like almost very frustrating when I when and I'm just going to generalize it call any cloud support and then they talk to me like I'm five yeah or they'll just speak in marketing (laughs) yeah and 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 I'm just like no I know this doesn't work because of this this and this and I almost feel like it's like a boy meets world moment where they're like okay Minkus you can sit down now the thing that always bugs me is just like how much of a complete mess sometimes it is in the cloud you know like teams is just a pile of products glued together Microsoft Viva is apparently like four products glued together and they still haven't quite figured it all out but they announced it and they'll gladly charge you to use it like there was something the other day where teams doesn't quickly update a name cache for accounts it apparently is like a default setting that it takes three days if someone changed their name for it to update across everyone's teams chat client unless you use the web browser version of teams where it often updates immediately but if you're using the local windows application Unless you know that signing out and signing into Teams for Windows will clear the cache, most people aren't going to do that. And you certainly can't ask 3,000, 300,000, 3 million people in your organization to do that for one person's name to be reliably updated. But like, if you ask Microsoft, it's like, hey, what's the deal with that? We have no control over that. They go, oh, yeah, it's like some unacceptable SLA, that of which it will be done. It's like, no, you don't understand this. Like, we expect better. And that's this is why, like, anytime there's this massive downtime or these outages with Azure, stuff that just goes down for no reason, or when you get, like, a Teams, not a Teams, um, Microsoft 365 service alert saying, we're looking into a problem, it affects your organization's exchange, and there's no details. It's like, no, be better than this. Yeah, and I think that's where I struggle because I've been on, like, the end of those alerts, like, in organizations. Where like I'm getting hounded nonstop to like fix these things or like figure out what's going on with them. Those people who are hounding me and like asking me those questions, like I'm not mad at them. Like they're just doing their jobs. But like those people don't go away. <laughs> like those people still exist. So when like a cloud service goes down, the same people are still asking like, when are we going to get it back up and running? And now I just feel like useless because I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. Precisely. There's the thing always where people say, oh, with the cloud, you don't have to worry about when something goes down. You just say, oh, we're all in this together. That means everyone is down at the same time and Microsoft will fix it. No. The reality is with the geographical separation of a lot of these services in Azure, they're region-based, like you said, with Power BI. So if it goes down in one region, it may not be down in another. Exactly. So not everyone is down at once. Unless it's a really global catastrophe, like a massive global SSO outage with Azure. But no, it's not going to be everyone, which means there's going to be you know, C-level saying, hey, this is down. You need to fix this. And they go, I can't. Microsoft is working on it. And they go, well, my other CIO buddy in like California called and he said it's working for him. So it's clearly us, the, <laughs> the process of elimination here. Why isn't it up? And that's when you say, well, see, we moved to the cloud. 
and we now have no control over this outage where before we had some control. And while there is something to be said in which you don't have to do anything to resolve the outage, you're also sitting there now staring at a status screen and you can do nothing to solve the outage. Yeah. And you still have everyone breathing down your neck asking you why right. it's not back up. Right, right. And then you're just hitting F5, like hoping that it changes so people will stop talking to you. Right. And you're like, no, I'm hitting F5 as fast as I can. But you don't understand. The anxiety doesn't go away. The stress doesn't go away. You're just instead, you're taking the agency out of yourself assigning it to someone else and hoping they'll fix it. Well, and and exactly. So sometimes I almost feel like it's more work to be in the cloud as well because there's this, um, again, this agency of like, are they going to believe me when I call them? And part of me goes, you know, I didn't sign up to be an IT to sit around and be PR and say, oh, someone else will fix it for me. No, I signed up to be an IT to be a sysadmin to fix the dang thing. Like, I'm going to be in the data center. I'm going to be swinging from the Cat 5 jungle and fixing this myself because I went to school for it. This is my bread and butter. I'm not going to have some jabroni at Microsoft do it for me and have me just stand in front of a podium and say, Microsoft is currently working on our cloud outage and they will be fixed soon. So it's it's a little bit of a pride thing, too. I'm just like, I, in some ways, I feel like I can do it better than Microsoft some days with some of these. But also, things. too, like how many cases to you have you submitted to Microsoft and they're like, oh, it's not an outage. And then you provide a whole bunch of data and then they come back because you provided all that data. And they're oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, actually, like because you submitted like that one random screenshot that one time. We were able to trace it back to like a global outage. And you're like, yeah, that was like three days ago, though. Right. And yeah. And there's been a couple of times where I've been right at the bleeding knife's edge of an outage. And I remember I was like, I'll be good. I will tweet the Microsoft support or 365 status where you can say, hey, um, I'm seeing this. Our whole tenants kind of seeing some weirdness. Can you do something about it? And a lot of times you get a reply from them saying, we have our current status says nothing is out. It's probably something with you. Please file a ticket or something. And then maybe like 40 minutes later, it's a tweet from them saying, no, this is actually down. Right. Maybe don't reply to me first before checking that, especially if it's so soon. Right. And again, like I don't know for sure like what the customer base that they deal with in support nonstop, but it's it's almost like I've been in teams i've been working with exchange long enough to know when it's not a me issue right exactly i can tell when it's an outage it's pretty obvious sometimes it might just be affecting my tenant but it's usually not if it's that scale that level a lot of times it's the small things that bug me like the admin portal won't load Uh again And it's only for like, it's not long enough where Microsoft declares an outage, but it's like maybe 30 minutes. It won't won't register on the status screens. It won't register as a service alert. It won't register as anything. But I'm like, I can't load this. It's just giving me, you know, 500 errors, which means, you know, they screwed something up. Little things like that bug me a lot. Well, what's really funny about those moments is like when the admin portal is down for like even a few minutes, it's always down right when somebody asks me a question. That's like, hey, Tiff, like, can you check on this thing? And then I'll like go to get in and I'm like, oh, no. And then I get the whole like, well, it shouldn't take you that long to check. Let me just do it myself. And then they log in and then the admin portal's working. And then I just want to like toss myself out the window. The worst is when it's something actually somewhat catastrophic too. Yes. 
A month or two ago, Exchange had a problem, Exchange Online, where a lot of people's mail was just going to their junk mail. That remediation took days to fully resolve. Yes. It was like, that's, that's a colossal screw up, Microsoft. And the fact that it took them days to remediate, they had to literally go through everyone's mailbox that was affected and undo the flow from junk back to inbox. It's unbelievable sometimes. Right, right. No, it, it really is. And then you're supposed to just like let it go. Yeah, let, let it go. It's the cloud. It's not your problem. Right. You know? I, I feel like it's some like twisted horror movie version of Frozen nonstop every day. Or Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire. Right. Only a song of never ending nonsense. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so have you already moved your Power BI no, over? Or are you, so, oh, you're still planning? Yeah, so now we're like just terrified because we left the meeting on Friday like more uncertain about if we're comfortable doing it or not. Yeah, you'll want to work closely with your TAM on that because that's going to be difficult. I know particularly if your stuff, maybe like you said, I think you said you only need to move it to to uh, east from west. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, it, yes. It's that sounds like West. some weird like infection that you get after a bad weekend. But yeah. um, that's from that's from SpongeBob. It's East. I thought you said Weast. Oh, so yeah, no, it probably is referencing a weird infection. A Weast infection. I'm gonna get a Weast infection. <laughs> <laughs> gonna pay for that one. Yeah, but um, you'll wanna. Yeah, it just sounds like it is scary. I think the one we had to deal with. I think it was we actually. I don't know how this happened, but ours was in another country. If you can imagine going from west to east is hard. Try going from like South America to the U.S. Because I don't know how that happened. But that's nuts. That fixed is difficult. That's that's insane. I can't even imagine. Well, I can imagine because I'm going through something similar. Oh man, I don't know anymore. Well, I do, but I don't. I don't know. That's how I feel like this migration is going. I do, but I don't. I don't know. Well, I wish you the best of luck in it and absolutely Thanks. make sure you're every step of the way. Just do what do what you always do if you're uncertain. Document it all. Document the communications. Work with the TAM and make sure, you know, if they screw it up, make sure the onus is not on you and know where to point the finger if needed. Yeah. Yes, it's the cloud. So you kind of have to just hold your breath and hope they don't screw it up. Unfortunately, they sometimes do screw it up. You're, wow, you're making me feel even better about this. I never thought that I would have more anxiety about something. And usually, Steve, like you help me alleviate that. But you have just now made me feel that I really hope that Jimmy doesn't listen to this episode because he's going to have like a total like stroke when he hears you say <laughs> right yeah this is like sysadmin therapy right here right. you know just i'll i won't mask the potential risks but i'll but... try to at least make it a smooth transition well thank you i appreciate that now i'm gonna go have a small panic attack only a small one yeah it's just fine. a small one it'll be over in a little bit just a little bit oh this has been so good i'm so glad we're back we should do this more often. We maybe should. Once, maybe maybe more frequently than every two months. Maybe more frequently than Azure has uptime. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all oh, good. here's a fun one. So Outgrid View in PowerShell is dead <gasps> on Mac and Linux. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is... You scared me like in real life. IRL. So it's like kind of temporarily slash permanently dead in a strange way. So it seems based on the, I guess, maybe the usage statistics or general apparent low usage of PowerShell outside of Windows, OutGrid View was sort of kind of not already part of the default PowerShell package in Mac and Linux, but it always worked kind of 
squirrelily squirrely squirrelily it took a while to load it would open in the strange dedicated non-powershell window and it wasn't as fast as the windows variant recently it stopped working if you tried to install the module that contained the commandlet it just doesn't work on newer versions of mac os or anything i found some github issues that explained why there is one that says no more work is being done by the avalonia based out grid view until we move to .NET maui so there's apparently a superseding greater project going on, that of which contains the outgridview commandlet amongst a lot of other things, and this is basically halting any downstream work on this in terms of fixing it until the upstream project is done. Until then, you're stuck with out-console-gridview, which is kind of similar but kind of not. It's like outgridview, but it works inside the PowerShell console itself without spawning a new window. And I've used it. I tried to use it a bit. I, I like that it exists, but it's not a replacement for OutgridView. It's not the same. It doesn't give you the same options that OutgridView does, especially not the Windows-based one. And first of all, Out Console GridView doesn't work on Windows. It's only on Mac OS and Linux. So it's like, I can't even compare it on the Windows side. But on Mac and Linux, yeah, it's, it's okay. But the UI is confusing. The colors are really offensively clashing. And I can't really view data or consume data nearly as well as I could in OutGrid view. Until some, I guess apparently some complete mess of a .NET overhaul cross-platform fixes this, OutGrid view is kind of in a state of limbo. Which is kind of a damper for PowerShell and cross-platform, so I kind of hoped it would have been a little bit less of a it show, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, th I feel like OutGrid view is one of those things that many people sort of know about but don't really understand it. And it's something that they should. Because I, I think that's kind of where like outgrid view maybe not, ha maybe doesn't have the traction that it needs to like get the attention that it deserves. I think a lot of people just don't know it exists half the time. Yes. I always see people like trying to, it drives me crazy. I see people like outputting to the console and they're trying to like copy and paste this data yes. or they're trying to figure out like what's, what's the syntax for sort object or where object. Guys, like if you're running some commandlet that you don't care about and you really don't want to write a whole script for or train your brain to memorize all the syntax, just slap a pipe OGV at the end of your command and just use the GUI outgrid view just to do your sorting and filtering because it's just not worth the extra brain power to do this filtering and where clauses and all that. I understand it's nice to know that, but it's like if I want to get 80 user on an OU and I don't feel like tacking on all this extra garbage, I'm like, just filter this OU, pipe OGV, and let me just handle the rest just by hand. That's fine. But I don't know. I don't know how few people use this t utility and especially outside of the Windows world. It's kind of jarring. So every time I've used it in front of people who are not familiar with it, it's almost as if they think that I have like some masterful like development skills and that like I'm a .NET developer and I'm just like, no, you just like type in OGV and they're just like, it, it almost like still doesn't click that it's just built in it reminds me of like back when i was trying to learn how to like just format a table in the powershell window you know how like in a lot of ways if you format something with multiple columns yes. stuff gets truncated and you just see the dot 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 on longer data right. and you have to say like ft dash auto size or something but you're still missing a lot and i'm like well this is great this shows in the console window but how do i consume this data or use it then you learn how to export csv and then you learn how to do clip 
and then you're like, oh, screw all that. Just do uh, out grid view because that will kind of give you the best of all worlds. Right. Exactly. No, that is exactly it. Yeah. It's the best of both worlds. But what worries me is like when I really go hard into a feature and then I discover it had really low usage outside of my purview and especially outside of like Windows. I'm like, oh crap, does that mean it's not going to get the love that it deserves? Is it going to go away? Does that mean I have to go back to the dark ages? It just worries me. Yeah, no, that's how I feel too. And what's interesting too is like who taught us what OGV was, was like someone from Microsoft. And I was like, why don't enough people know about this? Yeah, I forget where I learned OGV. Ted, it was Ted. Oh yeah, it might've been Ted. Yeah, Ted's Ted's Sudeikis. He's the best. Ted is the best. He's like the greatest PowerShell instructor there ever has been. Yeah. Ever will be. Yeah, no, Ted is great. Oh, man. Uh, I yeah, miss Ted. Ted. It was definitely Ted who taught me that, I think. Because I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, Ted taught all the things that were that are important about life. Yep. Ah, okay. So, yeah, that's, that's a quick update on OutGrid View. <laughs> Hopefully they fix it. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yep. So there was an update to Windows 10 recently, which added a weird news and interest in weather widget to the taskbar. Mm. So the thing about this is it's kind of a weird thing to add in just a cumulative update. That's more of like a feature update add, but apparently they just decided they were going to just throw it into the June update, I guess. I'm like, okay, that's odd. It's an odd choice. It's on by default. It's in your taskbar right by the system tray. Yeah. So here's the thing, though. It's buggy. Yes, you can turn it off. There's apparently GPOs to turn it off. But if you do turn it off, depending on which distribution, uh, sorry, distribution, um, my brain yeah, is in what Linux I, land. <laughs> yeah. Depending on which build of Windows 10 you are on, I discovered this with my Surface, which was on 20H2. If you turn that widget off with just the right-click context menu, say news and widgets off, your taskbar kind of goes ballistic. You lose the system tray, you lose the clock, the graphics get all garbled. And it will just kind of come and go as it pleases at random. Sometimes a reboot will fix it temporarily, but unless you re-enable the news and widgets, news and interests widget, you will suffer this effect. It doesn't seem to be a thing in 21H1, which is what my desktop is on. I just turn the widget off and I've had no negative effects. But my Surface on 20H2 seems to be uh, worse for wear on that. It's kind of odd that Microsoft would roll this out as part of a accumulative update B, not a feature update, and C, it's kind of broke AF, depending on which build of Windows you're on. It's kind of strange. That is weird. It just bothers me because it's like, if you're an organization and you've rolled out Windows 10 and you're not quite on 21H1, which is still kind of a little bit new at this point, it's like, you're going to have a lot of broken endpoints Mm -hmm. or messed up system trays and garbled menu bars and taskbars. And Microsoft just pushes this out without really testing it, it seems. You know, this is the continued. They're not testing their updates nearly well enough, and they need to, and it bothers me. It wasn't part of a cumulative update preview. It was part of just the standard cumulative update. Not an insider ring, just the standard production ring. That's so weird. So hopefully they fix that. Hopefully that's will get hot fixed or fixed in the upcoming July mm. patches in just a couple of weeks here. In general, okay, so we talked about the glitches that rolled out with it, but the actual usage of this widget, I it's weird. It's it's weird. So like what would the I, I noticed that it came out, but I at the same time I was just like, what do I even do with this? You know, I, I, I played along, I kind of scrolled through it, yeah. I pumped through it. I was like did, did you live that life? A it's kind of slow. It's not super it 
frequently told me I was offline when I wasn't. I was like, nope, all my web browsers are online. Everything else is working. Why are you saying you're offline? Right. And the news and stuff it was giving me was just junk. It was all clickbait garbage. It's one of the reasons I don't have MSN news as one of my news feeds. It's just all a bunch of junk. No matter how much I try to tune it with the see less often or block the source or anything, I just get sheer complete sewage for news in this thing wait do people actually use msn for news is that like a thing that people i just remember you like you to reading msn because i thought the articles were just so ridiculous it's an aggregate for the most part. It's, you know, in theory good. If you open Air, well, okay, so Internet Explorer is on the way out, but for the longest time they were try- they were always like reconfiguring your homepage to be the MSN news site. The new tab page was also sourcing news pages is news pages is news pages from that. And I believe bing.com might also pull from it as well. So it's sort of their central news repository thing. In theory, on paper, it works fine. You know, it pulls from Reuters or AP or whatever, the main news sources. But it also pulls a lot of clickbait in or a lot of stuff you don't care about. I know on Bing.com, you can at least adjust your news and interests. And in the Windows 10 News app, you could. None of this seems to apply in this widget, or at least from what I can see, unless there's some other account-based thing. I'd really prefer if they were going to drop this in to, you know, to compete for that Apple News money. At least, like, I don't know, make it good. If I have to tune it so hard to the point where I give up, I think it's kind of not a great widget to begin with. Agreed. I don't know what prompted them to force this out so quickly and abruptly, but here they are doing it. It also seems like something that they could have just waited till Windows 11 to release, because then it probably would have been more accepted. But no, you shoehorned it into Windows 10. Right. And it just feels like uh, someone got overly excited about their little widget that they thought was great. <laughs> And when it's actually not that great. Right. They just like wanted to get it out there. They were so excited. It was like an intern. They're like, I built my first widget. That's kind of what it feels like. It feels like a third party application that somehow made it into a cumulative update. Right. Someone like built their first .NET app. It's going to kind of suck if you're a manager of endpoints with SCCM and people are going to complain and asking why this showed up. So I would look into the GPOs that can turn this off or mm-hmm. registry keys. If you can't do GPOs, if you can't update your ADMX templates, you'll want to probably do that because A, it's going to annoy users and B, it's actually somewhat destructive and buggy, at least in my experience. So be sure to disable that somewhat soon. Yeah. So I said my piece on that. That's the news and widgets. News, jeez, I can't even, how many times am I going to say this wrong? The news and interests widget for Windows the, 10. The news and bar. widgets. The widget. Widget, 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 the widget. The widget, widget, widget. Widget, widget, widget. Oh, widget, widget, widget. Yeah. All right. So hope this helps as a we record sometimes podcast. We do tech stuff. We have a Twitter. We have individual Twitters. We have a website. We have articles. And we try to make content that, you know, stands the test of time. And when we do <laughs> take two-month hiatuses, at least the content's fine. It's like, oh, no, that article we wrote about Windows Update or Power BI or whatever, you know, you can still use it. And it's not, you know, mothballed. I don't know what I'm trying to yeah, say Yeah, <laughs> no, that just sounds like we get stuck in a closet and we're stuck, like, there until someone dies. No, we promise we're, we're not dead and no one's going to die. Yeah. It'll be great. Not today. So hthpc.com is our website. And um, yeah. Yeah. Till next time. Say it with me now. hthpc.com. Yay. All right, folks. Well, until the next time we record or something, we hope this helps. <laughs>